Welcome to the Retzel Health Law Hotspot. Health Law Hotspot is a podcast for physicians and health professionals that covers the legal issues and trends that affect the healthcare industry. Hi, everyone. This is Erica Adler. Welcome to the Health Law Hotspot. Just to introduce myself, I'm Erica Adler, shareholder at Retzel and Andrus, and leader of our healthcare practice. And today I have one of my colleagues from the tax and estate planning department. Nancy Frank Strauss, thanks for joining us so much today. Thank and you. we're going to be talking about something we haven't talked about before, which is what should healthcare providers be doing to prepare themselves in terms of estate planning, in terms of potentially one day having a disability? What kind of planning should they have in place? So thanks for joining us, Nancy. Thank you. Happy to be here. Why don't we start by you just explaining exactly, you know, what is estate planning? I don't think everybody really knows what falls in that category and what might be something that like a financial planner might do. So why don't you explain a little bit about what we mean by that? Well, in when someone asks me, you know, what I do for a living, when I meet them, I say, well, I'm, I'm an estate planner. Then they dig a little deeper and say, well, what exactly does an estate planner do? And my answer is, well, you know, I focus on death and taxes. <laughs> and I usually get a chuckle on that. But then I explain it. It really isn't just death and taxes. You know, estate planning is essentially planning for disability during lifetime and for death. So it's, you know, taxes can be a very, very minor part of estate planning. But the disability planning, making sure that um, you have someone that you trust who can make decisions for you if you can't, making sure that, you know, you financially provided for your loved ones, the people you care about in the event of disability. Um, very, very important. And disability covers, you know, you're looking for someone to make financial decisions as well as healthcare decisions. So those are, you know, the, the things that we keep in mind for disability planning. For death planning, again, we're looking at making sure that there's adequate provision for loved ones financially, but in addition, making sure that you have documents in place that state who you want to get your stuff, when you want them to get it, and who you trust enough to manage it um, during, you know, after your death. And then finally, if you have minor children, you name a guardian. Um, who someone you'd like to take care of your child if you and the child's other parent were no longer living. So that that kind of in a crux is estate planning. There's more sophisticated aspects of that. Sure. Um, that that asset protection planning, especially for physicians, you know, some other and, and tax strategies. But I think that might be the subject of you know our next podcast. Yeah, for sure. So when people think of estate planning, sometimes they are thinking, you know, I, I don't really have any money. I only have debt. And I hear this a lot, especially from young physicians. Uh, is estate planning something you only need to do if you actually have money in the bank? That's a really good question. And, you know, my response is if only people with money in the bank could <laughs> become disabled or or would die, then Definitely no one else would need to worry about estate planning, but, but it's a little more even-handed than that. And 
you know, the likelihood of any of us dying is 100%. The likelihood of disability is actually pretty high. Um, it, not for younger people, but once someone turns 55, you know, statistics show that they are five times more likely to become disabled than to die. So that's kind of a sobering statistic. Right. So for young providers out there, this is just as important as older ones. And obviously people feel like if they don't have a family yet or they don't have children, uh, they don't need to worry about it, but you still need someone to make decisions for you um, and to plan ahead. So it is worth it. And a lot of them sometimes are very afraid by how much things cost, right? Um, right. But I think, right. you know, obviously more simple plans are less expensive than very mm -hmm. sophisticated, complicated ones like anything else. So that shouldn't really right. be a deterrent to talking to someone to get this done. And, and absolutely. I mean, my my thought is that, you know, I'm sure by the end of today, everyone watching this will say, gosh, I need to do an estate plan or update my estate plan or recheck right. it. But and and for that, I'd say, you know, talk to friends who have done it talk to financial advisor. If you have a financial advisor, they've definitely worked with or they should, an estate planning attorney. Accountants are a good source of getting a feel of who, you know, they probably know several attorneys and attorneys run the gamut from, you know, relatively low cost, flat fee to right. super sophisticated. So, um, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think though, the number one thing I hear is like, you know, Either I don't have the money to do it or I don't have anything worth owning, but this is really more than that. Let's talk about disability in a little bit more detail first, and then we'll come back to uh, you know, more traditional estate planning. So many physicians that I talk with uh, assume that you know whatever they have through their work or their fellowship or training program, oh, I have a disability policy, I'm gonna be covered, okay? Uh, and I think you and I agree that often, uh, you know, depending on how much the doctor is starting to make, or they haven't looked at it in a while, it may not actually match kind of what their compensation might be. And that, that's something I like to warn doctors about as well. But I have seen some very tragic circumstances and I work you know, with doctors where a doctor has become ill, can't work anymore, fallen and hit their head and is not quite able to do the job and they get let go. And there's a little bit of, you know, there's different pieces of the disability. One is um, when you get terminated from your job and how soon that can happen. The second is how long will compensation continue until you get terminated, right? And that's something right. you have to look at your employment contract for. The third is when does the disability policy kick in, right? right. And so those are the kind of things that I think about as a contract person, but literally my job kind of ends there whether somebody has enough disability, whether they should have had multiple insurance policies, et cetera, um, you know, is, is something that I try and direct my clients to get advice on. I think some of that might come more from the financial planner aspect of it. Where do you see your involvement in the disabled provider situation? So where does your role come in there? Our role comes in, you know, one, if, if we're working with someone to recommend that they do talk to a financial advisor or possibly, you know, we do work with some really phenomenal insurance people, um, but insurance often the term will make people shudder, but just, you know, to, to do a check on the financial end, 
that isn't so much my end. I'm I'm looking at let's get a person covered so that in the event they really are incapacitated, they can't give what I say prompt and intelligent consideration to either medical decisions or financial decisions. You know, I want to get documents in order that will name people that they trust to make decisions for them if they can't. And some of those might be whether they really can work or not anymore, right? Well, it, it's, <laughs> they certainly, you know, if someone were impaired, let's say, then, you know, the person representing them would be the one that would, you know, be able to hire the lawyer to enter into negotiations as far as coverage or any other legal aspects. Um, so, you know, when I say financial matters, the, the property power of attorney is the document in Illinois that covers, you know, financial matters, non-healthcare, but it runs a gamut of, you know, not just bank accounts and investment accounts and retirement accounts, but negotiating contracts and filing tax returns. And you know, making other decisions should, do we need to sell, you know, the residents? So someone acting under this document has a lot of leeway, a lot of authority. So to me, it, it's critical that there's upfront planning to name someone that is really trusted. You know, we've, we've seen some horror stories where people are named and they're not really trustworthy. Right. And, and sometimes it could be just a temporary situation. I recently had a physician with a brain tumor and he oh recovered, but it took quite a long time. And I know he spoke to us right before he knew he was having surgery, et cetera, so we could make sure that the estate planning uh, was in place. And he did temporarily require that assistance, but eventually uh, was fine. So that's a, an example of, you know, it's not like the end of life type of disability always. Sometimes. Right. Right. Type visibility, correct? Correct. Right. Right. That's and and exactly for financial, you know, the, someone that it's the agent would represent the physician only during disability. And same with you know the healthcare decisions. It doesn't go on forever if the incapacity terminates. So once right. someone gets you know retains their abilities, then there's no need you know then he or she can make their own decisions. So what happens if you don't have one in place and you become disabled? Well, the, the general rule, especially for some more involved decisions, with financial matters, there's no choice but to go to court for a guardianship, also known sometimes as a conservatorship, which is, it, it's a court proceeding. Um, the financial aspects of the of the physician become public record because an inventory needs to be filed showing all the assets and liabilities and income. And it's um, also the disability, you know, the detailed doctor records of why this person is incapacitated um, need to be filed. And then eventually someone is appointed as a guardian. I shouldn't say eventually, but you know, it's a process. And then someone <laughs> is appointed as guardian who has the legal authority then to act on behalf of the incapacitated physician. Um, the thing being right. that, you know, the whole purpose of the property power of attorney is to avoid the expense and publicity, public nature 
um, and ex well expense, you know, of, of the guardianship. And I will just say, you know, if a guard if a disability goes on for lifetime, so does the guardianship, you know, and there needs to be annual accountings of, you know, again, income and expense, and the guardian needs to ask permission to do certain things. So it's it, it's really a you know, in many circumstances, something that all of us would like to avoid. Right. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Now, it's a tad off topic, but a lot of my doctors who are like maybe my age that I work with, we have children now that are in college. Mm -hmm. And something that a lot of us have talked about recently is whether we should be having our 18-year-old children sign something before they go away. And I'm only bringing this up because we assume that it's going to be somebody having an issue as they get older, but, you know, if your child is injured and in an accident, especially in another state, and they don't have those documents, they fall under these very same rules, correct? Uh, absolutely. And it, it, excuse me, it's funny that you say that because every year I give a presentation to um, high school seniors and their parents about the importance of having the healthcare power of attorney and the property power of attorney. Because in Illinois, when a child turns 18, they are an adult. And all of their medical information, any medical decision-making becomes theirs. You know, that the parent is no longer um, really even, you know, shouldn't be given any of that private medical information without authorization, even if they're paying, you know, health insurance premiums, um, all costs associated with care. And you're absolutely right. It's something that as a matter of course, any, any child who attains age 18, especially if they go to college, should have those powers of attorney. And it's funny because a lot of doctors I work with are deal with them when people come into their offices with the power of attorney, you know, for the patient, but very rarely are thinking about it for their own family. Most so. Most, I would say most people don't, I would say many lawyers don't, you know, yes, it's just, right. well, you, you, even estate planning lawyers, you wouldn't, you just don't think about it. Right. All right. So let's talk a little bit about death then, unfortunately, <laughs> and how estate planning is needed um, for, you know, planning for that eventuality. Um, when do you need to do this? Um, you know, what are some of the things that you should be thinking about when you do start thinking about you know, your eventual demise? <laughs> well, it's, you know, I, I think many of us, you know, kind of starting out in life think that estate planning is only, again, it's only for the wealthy, only for people with, you know, a whole lot of money in the bank. And, you know, from, from my perspective in planning for death, I think it makes sense, you know, it makes sense when someone starts, you know, accumulating some assets. And, and with that said, I'll say, you know, I think it makes sense to have it regardless because it makes sense to have the powers of attorney no matter you know, how rich or poor um, someone is, whether they're starting out or they've been working for a number of years and are, are quite comfortable. But it, along with the powers of attorney, just get a simple will put together that, you know, goes through in the event of my death, I want so-and-so to handle things and um, I leave whatever I may have, even if I have nothing, to these people. 
And the reason I say that is, you know, one of the things that we see with physicians starting out is pretty significant student debt, student loans. And just to be able to have appointed someone who can step in and start dealing with those student loans, working to get them forgiven is important. You know, it's, it's, it, 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 so I recommend that even without assets, but certainly as there's assets in the bank, maybe looking at buying a, a condo or a residence um, at that point, I think it's, it's quite important to have a will that says in the event of my death, I want these people to get, you know, my assets. So how often should you be updating it or changing it? Uh, like annually, should you review it? What, what's, you know, I, my rule of thumb is whenever there's, you know, kind of a major life event. And with that, it would be, you know, major life event of I'm starting out and I have money now, I'm buying a condominium. Um, gosh, I'm looking at getting married uh, because there will be implications with that. We just had children. Well, the importance of appointing a guardian, you know, any documents that were done prior to having children need to be revisited so that a guardian can be added. Um, gosh, my marriage isn't working out so well. I'm thinking of filing for divorce or I filed for divorce. That's a critical time, an absolutely critical time to revisit. You know, I'd say to revisit documents or if you don't have any documents, you know, if you then that would be a really important time to put together some estate planning documents. Um, after a divorce is final, another time to, to look at things and then you know, in the event a family member becomes incapacitated or anyone that has been named to make decisions, you know, under the powers of attorney for disability or the will, you know, it, I spoke to somebody last week um, and under the will that, that this person had left, you know, they'd named three executors. Well, one lived overseas and, and couldn't serve. Another one was had dementia and couldn't serve and the other one had died. So we had nobody left that could that could handle it. So, um, and then of course, if there's a death in the family, you know, that, I, I won't say revisit it then, but that often will Trigger. make people say, gosh, you know, this, this has been a mess and maybe I'd better look and make sure I've got everything in order. So what happens if you die and your family can't find your will or you didn't have one, what happens next? Well, the, if you reside in Illinois, the state of Illinois will write a will for you. Um, it's right in the, in the probate code. And Illinois sets out very you know, clearly, you know, if you die unmarried, then this happens. If you died married with no kids, this happens. If you die married with kids, this happens. Um, so they, they go through exactly who will get your stuff. Um, the statute also will say they have a priority on who can serve as executor under the will, who can manage things. And then if there needs to be a guardian appointed, um, that's where we can get in a little bit of tug of war that I've seen between um, each parent's side of the family may want to serve as guardian. And if there hasn't been a choice made, 
you know, in a will that can lead to a little bit of friction. Um, so anyway, the 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 statute and the courts, the judge will decide. Right. Are most states are most states similar to Illinois? Like they have similar provisions? I believe so. Um, and so and you need reason, really, and and you know, estate planning is one of those types of law where you really need to talk to somebody in the state where you are. So yeah, yes, yeah, and, and that's why my very, answer right so. general principles here, yeah. but you really need to talk to somebody right. local. So, um, right. so I'm guessing then that the law takes into account, you know, um, kind of what was going on, what assets you had before you got married, if you died while you were married, how old your children are, etc. Like for example, if you have a will. And your three children, let's say, were minors when you wrote it, and now um, two are not minors and one is. You know, you might want to go in and say, you know what, the, the the children that aren't minors anymore can be the guardian for the one who is a minor or something like that, right? Exactly. And the other thing I might add is, you know, relationships change over time. So if a will was written 15 years ago, and you know, someone appointed Joe. We want Joe to serve as guardian, but now they're on the outs with Joe or Joe, you know, Joe isn't going to be the perfect role model to serve as guardian. Then we should look at replacing Joe with somebody who's more appropriate. Right. That totally makes sense. So do you really, you know, there's so much stuff available online now. And I know a lot of people just go online, like download a power of attorney or download mm -hmm a will. Can can this work? I mean, the companies selling this are kind of selling it as though we're, we have everything you need right here. Uh, is that the case? You know, what kind of mistakes do you end up seeing when people do that? Or, you know, what else do people need to know about that? Well, it's, you know, I, I can say I'm biased as a lawyer that I think that lawyers are better suited to, um, drafting estate planning documents than, you know, a capsule online. But I, I think the, the thing to, that really concerns me about the do-it-yourself is, you know, they, they kind of sell a, well, just check out these boxes that apply and we'll spit out a will. And the thing is that it doesn't take into account all the circumstances. It can't ask all the questions. It can't find all the facts. Right. That, you know, to me, a good estate planning attorney is good at listening for the silences, you know, of of getting all the facts that come out, even those that the client doesn't want to talk about. You know, that's critical to doing the right documents, the right provisions for people. And the do it yourself online just simply isn't equipped to provide that. Um, right. So that's one thing I'd say the substance of the documents is often not appropriate for someone's situation. But the worst, I think the worst examples that we've seen and the ones that tend to cross our litigators desk are you know, documents that weren't signed properly, documents that, um, you know, they're, they're very special provisions, they're very special processes for signing a will. And if someone didn't follow that, then their will is invalid. So they, so they wasted the, the money you know, right. And then doing so, it. And then I, I guess what happens if you can't find it? I mean, there's a lot of estate planning lawyers that are kind of, you know, single practitioners. And, you know, what happens if they pass away or what happens if they're, I, I guess, how do you know what happens to your will? Because a lot of times the lawyers will hold on to the original 
in case, right. but what happens if the, you know, they're not there or nobody knows what lawyer was used? I mean, how do we, do they get registered somewhere or what, what, how does this work? Well, that's a really good question. And I will say, because, you know, although there is a place to register wills with Illinois, you know, as a general rule, either the client will keep, you know, their original will and we tell them, you know, it must be in a safe deposit box. It's got to be safe. Let people know where it is. Or we, you know, we as lawyers will keep the original. Um, and I mean, the problem we've run into this, you know, a number of times where we know someone died and we can find copies of the will, but no original. And if the original is missing, it is presumed to have been revoked. So if it, now with a great deal of work, we often can get, I shouldn't say often, we have been able to and can <laughs> get a will admitted, um, a copy of a will admitted to probate, but the, the better idea is to don't go there because it that's no guarantee. It depends on the judge and the circumstances and the family. You know, if there's family agreement that it should be admitted, okay. If the family doesn't agree, then it can be, you know, tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands in litigation. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, God knows there's like a lot to think about here, right? So mm -hmm. what are some of the final thoughts that you have on, on things people should be thinking about now? I know, you know, I mostly work with healthcare providers and I'm urging my young docs and even my more senior docs to think about estate planning and think about powers of attorney and preparing for disability. These are things, you know, they're only human and these things right. affect them. And a lot of times they are, you know, they're too busy or they're just not thinking about it. Like you said, they don't think they have enough assets. They only have debt, et cetera. But this is something everyone should be thinking of. And I think you've really helped make that super clear. Are there any final things that we haven't covered that you really want people to think about? I think, you know, there are a couple of things. One is um, what we didn't cover is we've covered, you know, disability and death planning with wills is beneficiary designations. Um, one thing that everyone can do, and it's not, you don't even need to call your lawyer to do it, is look at your beneficiary designations. You know, so many of our physician clients have, you know, defined benefit plans, 403B, you know, various retirement accounts with significant balances. And you know, it's critical that the beneficiary designation be revisited because God forbid it, if it's an ex-spouse, then the ex-spouse is the one that is going to receive that benefit. Wow. There's nothing in Illinois law that would, you know. So the will doesn't that. overcome the designation. Not, not for retirement accounts. There are other, for insurance, it, it can. Um, but beneficiary designations for insurance annuities, retirement accounts, very important. Look at the primary, look at, you can generally put in a secondary or contingent, very important to have that done. And then the other thing is just ownership of property. Um, you know, it's not unusual for two siblings to own real estate. Well, how is that titled? What happens when one of those siblings dies? Does it Go, does winner take all? Does it go to the other? Does it go to, you know, the deceased siblings 
family, you know, maybe it's a spouse no one gets along with, maybe it's a never do well child no one gets along with. So those are things that also play into it. Um, but I'd say, you know, the main thing is procrastination, inertia. I mean, this nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I can talk about death and disability today with a lawyer. You know, it's just not, it's not where anyone wants to go. But, you know, it's, I would say that it's the kindest thing you can do for your loved ones is to put something in place so they don't need to handle the mess later on. Right, absolutely. And, you know, for physicians in particular, in most states, they are the only ones that can own their ownership as well in and, their practices. And, right. you know, the way we write our documents in the event of death, they're immediately terminated and their stock or units are redeemed back to the company and the formula is all set out there. But, you know, there are plenty of um, groups that don't have written documents or right. their documents don't say that. And, companies like non-healthcare companies where suddenly the the stock held in a company the family is trying to step in and and not just own the stock but take over the role and running the company etc so definitely also want to look at this from a business perspective you know what what do you own an interest in what you know do you have an operating agreement do you have a shareholders agreement what do they say um do you want the family to be able to come in uh do they just stand in the you know, the feet, uh, the shoes as an owner, or they get to have a say in things, right? Just as right. you kind of said. So lots of decision-making, but this is really just kind of a starting point for people to really think about how they're impacted by disability, death, uh, and those kinds of things. So it's, this is really helpful. Thank you so much for coming and talking with us today. And I just want to let everyone out there know that if anyone has any questions, we didn't go into a lot of depth on things. There's just too much to cover, but Nancy is totally able to answer any questions you may have, and I would not be the right person to direct any of these questions to, other than to make an intro. So if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to Nancy directly uh, or email one of us, and we'll get you to the right person. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today. I think it's been really helpful. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for joining us at the Health Law Hotspot. We'll see you next time if you want to catch some of our other podcast, you can check out ralaw.com. See you next time. The Retzel Health Law Hotspot is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Retzel Health Law Hotspot does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Retzel Health Law Hotspot should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have.